It is September 29th. Yeah, yeah. Can you believe it? It's already here, big babies. It was just summer. We was all excited about having summertime fun, you know. And now it's fall already. Goodness. But September always brings the energy. Always. Never. There's never been a summer that September didn't set it off. Uh, September begins with the hotness. And then we kind of cool down. Getting back into the routine of things. A lot of the children are back in school. Everybody's getting back their uniform suits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I know last week, um, the second, well, the you know, the Thursday last time we was out celebrating DJ. I'm in California. Well, he was, in, you know, doing his thing and I'm in Atlanta. And we had a really good time interacting with new energy, new artists. Just a new atmosphere altogether. We gave you um, love, gave you a lot of new images, retro, current energy. That's me. Yeah. Well, we're back in the Woody Wop. We were able to uh, this week interact with the likes of Sean Atkins. I know a lot of musicians that know him, and he is the to guy, the go-to guy. He's that guy. It's going to always give a helping hand. You never hear none him say nothing bad, negative, you know. Everybody's gone through some things, but he always keep it on point. Always looking good, smelling good, you know. Giving you his knowledge, giving you wisdom. The, my, that's my brother. That's me. So when I scream, I scream, that's me. Because that's someone that's since the beginning of time. I've been knowing him for years. For the beginning of time, he's always doing something productive. So he's going to come into this. I'm still recovering. I can't even get a hold to my own DJ. Who does that? <laughs> Who does that? DJ is not nowhere to be found. Or calling me. Ah, oh, I'm not feeling good. But you just sent me a text that you was at the party. Okay. Anywho. But we got an opportunity to do the party with Sean. It was so fun. You know, we don't step out the, the hot box because my baby, he likes to keep it on, you know. Lockdown. And I'm okay with that because it's been a while. <laughs> he know that. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to get to it. Sean Atkins on the scene. Y'all stay tuned. We'll see you again the first week of next month, October. Bring your costumes, your fit. You know, this is a time to put on those things that you normally don't put on. Rock things that you don't normally do. Between September and the first week of September. It's costumes. Yeah. Truly love. I'll see you soon. Peace. Greetings, greetings. Sean Atkins here. Coming to you right now. I'm in New York. Out on the road with Mr. George Benson. And... Got a day off and I'm gonna enjoy some rest, some good food, and uh, drink plenty of water. And uh, as I get started, I just wanna say I'm uh, honored to be asked to speak regarding my 
career, my activities, and my future. And thank you, my love. I appreciate you. You're special, special someone. Well, my thing all started um, around the church, even though I didn't know I was preparing for something. I, uh, I was just always interested always interested in the equipment at church I used to look at all the buttons and blinking lights look at all the cables all jumbled up and look like spaghetti and every time I got near the equipment like I would have to vacuum the church one of my duties and I would straighten up around the equipment I would roll all the cable up and clean the microphone stands off. And even though some of the equipment I wasn't supposed to touch, I would just, you know, like I said, clean it. And I remember one time I cleaned the guitar amps with, it may have been something like Lemon Pledge, but it was something oily, but it made them look shiny and made them look nice, but it was the wrong solution to use because it made them slippery at the same time but I learned my lesson and I figured it out um, but I was always interested I cleaned the buttons I cleaned the the face of the equipment cleaned the drums I just was you know wanting the equipment to look like I thought it looked on television so again I would clean the microphone stands I would clean each cable. I was kind of weird like that, but that kept me around the music. And as time went on, one day I was asked to sit in on drums, even though I had never played. I was always around it, but they said, just sit down and just do this right here. Boom, cat, boom, cat, boom, cat. So, you know, I could dance, so I have rhythm and I can keep time, so... I never knew I could really play, and I just started just helping out. So people would say, hey, sit down, just do this, do this. Show me a little beat, now you do it, and I would copy it. And then I started getting a little bug for playing drums. My sister sang, my mom would sing around the house. She actually sang in church. My mom used to have the whole church crying when she would go out and sing at different churches and things like that. She was one of those ones. And a couple of my uncles, they sang as well. Very good, very good vocalist. But again, I wasn't interested in music as a performer. But then I got to the drums and I was behind everyone. And I kind of like felt like I could hide back there. And I was hiding playing drums and didn't have a lot of confidence but I felt good playing drums it gave me a little something extra because I was an athlete I was wanting to be a professional athlete but as I got on the drums and you know kind of moved from my old neighborhood I didn't have the opportunity opportunity to play sports like I you know dreamed I would so music did become something that caught my attention took up my time And I started rehearsing on my own and practicing on my own. 
And I remember walking down the street in a city called, a little town called D-Land, Florida, pretty close to Daytona Beach. But I saw this music store, and I'm looking through the window of this music store, and I saw these drums, and I would just go down there. And sometimes I think they... I don't think they banned me, but there was something about me coming down to the music store all the time. And I would just sit behind different drum kits and look at the drum kits. I would just come and the guys at the music store started to know me by name just because I would go down there so much and just look at drums. You know, I'd buy a pair of sticks from time to time. Um, But uh, someone's at my door. Hold on. Pardon me. That was housekeeping. So, yeah, the music store, the owner, all the employees, they started knowing me by name. And I would come down and look at the equipment. But I caught the bug there. So I really got into drums. I really got into playing music. I I had been writing songs since I was, I remember my earliest song I believe I wrote was probably about nine years old. And it was just on a notepad or whatever. Not, you know, I could remember lyrics and words to every song that I, music that I listened to. Because I listened to funk, country, rock. I listened to everything. And I would memorize the words to every single song. I knew every word to every song, every little ad lib, everything. This is before music as well, before playing music. But anyway, so I got into it playing the music and being interested in performing and writing and I started learning how to use the recording equipment they banned me from using the equipment because I was always on it always on it and even the church they banned me from using the room because I just are you going to wear out our equipment you know and to be honest I believe they saw my growth and they kind of wanted me to not get into it like I was getting into it. But um, I ended up getting my own equipment. I started buying little pieces, cheap pieces, putting pieces together with this together and using two and three cassettes to do a beat and then do a bass line. And I started messing with every instrument, so I learned how to play a little bit of everything. And uh, so I would write songs. And I got a probably a thousand songs, if not more, in different stages of completion. Some just drum beat with the bass line or keyboard chords or just the drums alone, but the ideas there, the breaks, the bridge, all those type of thing. So playing in the gospel group, playing at a lot of churches and those type of things kept me active and I loved it couldn't wait to go out and play and uh again I was a a loner so I would practice a lot you know I'd be in the practice room I would clean the practice room I would set it up I would load the equipment I just loved being involved in it performing and preparing for it and all that I love going to rehearsal um there was a period of time playing for the church I played for country group the progressive type of group, the Church of God, I mean, uh, the traditional, uh, inspirational type of group, the choirs, 
within the uh, R&B gospel type group. I played for everybody, and I didn't have a problem with it. I loved it. I loved it. Everybody had different practice nights. Some practiced the same night, rehearsals. So I would be there. I'd be there one after the other after the other, take a dinner break, and then go practice with someone else. I loved it. And again, I didn't know I was preparing for something else, but things moved on. Got to Sacramento from Florida, moved to Sacramento, and at some point, you know, I detail cars, and I've done that since a kid, but I end up getting into the business of owning my own shop. I had a mobile thing, and I had a standalone brick-and-mortar shop where I had major, major clients. I would go to all the athletes' home and detail their cars. I would go out to Arco Arena detail the coaches' cars, the owners' cars. I would detail all the players. You know, guys would go on road trip and they would leave me their keys. And I would just pick a day or whatever. They'd keep their cars at my shop. So it was quite interesting. But uh, this was all surrounding around music. I ended up, excuse me, In my detailing days, I ended up running into running into uh, Raphael Sadiq from Tony, Tony, Tony. He was Charlie Ray at the time, and he was having some work done on his car at a shop that was one of my main clients. They had all Porsches, and they had a multi-million dollar complex with all these ground effects. They tricked out cars. Uh, imported cars, and actually any car, but mostly imports, Porsches, BMWs, all the Nissans and Toyotas, and they made everybody's car look special. So Raphael was having some work done, engine work done on his car, and uh, he came into the shop one day, and I was finishing up. It was a Friday. I was finishing up and uh, waiting for my check, and the guys introduced us. One guy's like, hey, you know who that is? And I looked over there like, oh, yeah, I think I know who that is. Because at the church, we didn't listen to secular music. So it was kind of, there was a little space in there where I really had kind of shut down all the newer stuff and just kind of was listening to all the gospel, traditional quartet, all the the whinings, commission, keynotes, all the good stuff, you know, the clouds. So I was just heavily into the gospel. But uh, I knew who Tony Tony was and things like that. Certain music you would hear every once in a while. But yeah, I knew who they were. I knew who he was, but I didn't know a whole lot. So they said, you know who that is? Yeah, yeah. But I was excited. I never get excited about meeting people per se. I appreciate and uh, respect and honor, but it wasn't a big deal. So they introduced us. And Raphael asked me for my card. I gave him my card, and I think it was, I'm pretty sure it it was like the next day. He called me and asked me if I could detail his car. And when I went over to his house, it was like 15 other cars there, all the homies, all the other band members. Everybody was at Raphael's because they were, uh, you know, they were always there recording at his house. They would go over to his house, and people would come from Oakland, all the homies again, all the local uh, you know, I met a lot of guys. Um, 
I met a lot of guys from Oakland that would come and record at Raphael's, the Loonies, you name it. It was a lot of people. I just threw that name out of there because they were some of the ones. And Tupac's engineer was there uh, running all the sessions. So anyway, uh, I was there detailing the car and I would come. I was there every day. And um, even though I had my other clients, I would go take care of them. And then I'd come and detail another car, detail some one of the other band members' cars. And I started detailing the cars. And they end up going from Raphael's studio. Again, I was there practically every day. Um, from Raphael's studio to a studio in Sacramento called Paradise. And it was like a major studio in the city. And they went there and started recording. And so I was over there. I'd be sitting there waiting for everybody to show up at recording time, the, the, the session, and cats were supposed to be there at 3 o'clock, and they wouldn't show up till 6 and 7 and 8. So I'm sitting there, wait an hour, and I'm like, oh, I got to get ready to go. And then I'd go inside. I, a couple of times I would go inside to tell the engineers that let them know I was here and I had to go. And I'd go in, and the the, the, the room was like, you know, junky from the night before, messy. Everybody eating in the 40 ounces and all that stuff. So I started going in and I started cleaning up back to something I had done before, picking up all the trash because they weren't cleaning up the studio and neither were the engineers. So I started cleaning up, cleaning up, and just kind of straightening up before they got in just to pass the time waiting for somebody to start showing up. And then one guy would show up, another guy, they sit around, and everybody starts showing up and joning on each other and messing around. So I remember one point someone asked the engineer, who's cleaning up? Who's been cleaning up? I thought somebody had, you know, lost something or something like that. And they're like, oh, no, they just, they said that guy out there in the truck, the guy out there detailing the car, he'd come in here and clean up. So what's happening is they started somebody started seeing my work ethic and so i was at the studio and they said hey man come hang out sometime just come chill you ain't got to be working just come chill so i didn't really do it at first i did it a couple times and then i did it a couple more times the next thing you know i was kind of like i just started watching the process on the next level which was you know these guys had hits and videos and albums and tours all behind them so i'm like wow i'm around these guys this looked great i, I wanted to take that that I was learning and go back to my gospel group and say, you know, guys, we got to step it up. We're doing it already, but we got to. And we had all the equipment. We had everything. We had the bus. We had everything. So I was excited because I was like, what I'm learning over here with Tony, 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 I was going to take it back to the church and we were going to have this gospel thing happening in the same way because I was learning everything. Meeting with management and all that. So... I'm at the studio, I'm at the studio, I'm helping out a little bit, helping out a little bit, sitting in the control room now, just kind of watching things go down, and they asked for certain certain things, I would move things around for them, different things like that, started happening, kind of like, cool, I like this, I'm, I'm around some professionals now, I kind of got an idea that I could do this, so get through the recording process, and they're getting wrapping up the record, wrapping up the recording, and uh, they started getting ready to do the promo tour, and they're going to go out with Janet Jackson, and 
Raphael came to me and asked me, hey, man, you want to go on tour? And I'm like, I said, yeah, but I didn't know what that was. I honestly did not know what it was. You know, I, I know people tour, but when they're asking me, I didn't know it from this side, being invited to come to work. I'm like, uh. So I had to, you know, you know, I was really isolated and distanced from the world that they were in, but I didn't want to show my naivete. So I just said, yeah, and just like trying to be cool. Like, yeah, I want to do it. Yeah. So I, anyway, I had to ask permission from the church folks if I could go. And uh, eventually it came down that uh, they approved it or whatever. And that sounds weird, but it's kind of like the way it was. So it was all good. Went to started going to the rehearsals, started getting, you know, the rehearsal place that they went to was a place that I I, I worked at already, you know, doing sound. And he was one of my clients detailing cars at 4X Audio out of Sacramento. So I was already over there involved with them and they had rehearsal room, but they had to, at the again that next level stuff they had giant bands that played there um a couple of them i can't remember i know one of the bands was tesla and i can't remember this other band but they were huge at the time and they were using that as a lockout and somehow i told them and they got tony 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 over there and i actually was part of getting them in there in a roundabout way because i told them i was detailing their cars and they're like oh hey man we got to get those guys over here let them rehearse and it came around full circle, just the association. So I was getting into the big league. So we did all the rehearsal, and I started getting to meet all the guys and seeing how things go, management, label. And, um, yeah, I started getting really into it. And I got into, I remember the first day I was getting on the tour bus. We were in Sacramento. And everybody met at this giant parking lot across the street from the Arden Mall in Sacramento. It's kind of a big place out there, one of the main malls in Sacramento. So going on tour, first time, it was great. It was great. And then, you know, we did that and did the whole thing, and it was amazing. Came home. And I'm talking to the church people. I'm letting them know we got to do something. We can do this. We had all the gear. We had the potential. We had everything going for us to be right there with the Winans and Commission and Rance Allen and Andre Crouch and all that. Not to be saying we're, we we're on their exact level, but we, again, had that potential because we had great material and we worked together very well as a unit. So I went and had a couple of meetings with the church folks and they shot me down and I had another meeting they shot me down and it just got to a point where I said you know what guys if we can't step up and do what I gotta you know what I'm bringing to the table I gotta move on so again they shot me down so I moved on moved on started working with Raphael Sadiq after they came home and settled in they did some other promo stuff with just the three of the band guys at that time. Not the three of the band guys. The band. It was the whole band. And then they came home. Raphael lived in Sacramento. So it was a couple of those guys that lived in Sacramento. So uh, Elijah, Jubu, Tim, Carl still lived in Oakland. Dwayne still lived in Oakland. And Antron was living in Oakland at the time. 
but he eventually uh, he eventually came to Sacramento. And so I was around those guys, and Raphael called me in to be his assistant, and I started being his assistant, kind of running his house and running his studio to the point where, you know, day to day, I was there every day, every session, all day, all night, every day, all day, all night. I saw a lot of great acts come through that he was producing and just being around and being associated, handling the FedEx, picking up the tapes, sending the tapes out, uh, all the stuff, getting stuff for the music video, the video shoots, D'Angelo stuff, Mary J. Blige, Total, Angie Stone. Uh, man, there was a lot of people, a lot of people he had coming through his place. And uh, I was part of the team there. There was Don, uh, Don Agent. That was a brother. He just passed. He was a young guy on the team. His name, we they called him Talk Show. And his name was Adrian Jones. And he was there with Raphael as one of the assistants. And uh, we had an office downtown in old Sacramento, right downtown Sacramento. Adrian had a desk there. He had an office there and there. Um, what else? Yeah, we had, a, we had a good time and a good thing going. And... Uh, Things moved to L.A. Eventually, Raphael moved his his uh, organization to L.A. And I drove a lot of the equipment, all the equipment to L.A. Tapes, all his masters. It's a couple of three, four trips, getting everything out there, getting the cars out there and doing all that. But I eventually moved to L.A. just out of, you know, trying to find my way in the business, getting the chance to do some things. And uh, I was... Uh, uh, one of the reps, part of the rep team of the management and the label, Polygram at the time, and it was um, wow, what's that management team? Left Bank Management, you know, and I, I was direct contact between management and artist, and that was great. They were grooming me. I didn't fully know it in that time. They told me later, you know, they were grooming me. So was the label. They were grooming me to be on the team, and I even got offered to moved to New York and come out and start working with Polygram. And I, you know, being naive, I really didn't know what that meant altogether. And I was kind of, you know, uh, not kind of, I was hesitant. I could have been on top right now. But uh, everything in time, it's the journey that matters. But yeah, so I ended up moving to L.A. and kind of start working around and finding my way my own self and again my detail kept me alive I didn't even I didn't even have a place to stay and I didn't have a real job and I would wash a car detail a car a couple cars here and there and kept myself afloat I never ended up totally stranded but I was operating from my car (laughs) if you know what that means so yeah that lasted for a little while and I started getting getting some couple of looks here and there and uh, I got hooked up with Parliament Funkadelic, which was pretty much my first real gig out in L.A., out of L.A., Parliament Funkadelic. Um, I had a run with Norman Brown, Peebo Bryson, Brenda Russell, Everett Hart. Uh, who else? I think it was someone else. But I had started getting some traction on my own, just my name, you know, and I didn't know where it was coming from. But I started getting, you know, because I was out there kind of 
making moves, trying to get my name out there and start work. And after the parliament thing, I got a call. I don't know where it came from. I don't know where to this day I got this call. And I went out and then show up and it was Mariah Carey. So I had the Mimi tour. I was a substitute on the tour, but they called me in and I was taking someone's place for this tour run and it was a world tour and it went amazing. Oh, it went amazing. Um, after I did the parliament run, it wasn't really a money thing, it wasn't much money there, but it allowed me to get my first apartment, which I'm currently there now. So I've been there almost um, a long time. So, um, but after Parliament, there was a time, again, I said the Pebro, Bryson, Norman Brown, whatever. But then there was a uh, gig came up, the Mariah, Mariah Carey gig, drum tech, bass tech, and uh, had a keyboard situation there. And I got to experience the top, top level right there. I mean, that was amazing. 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 And so from there, I met great people on that team, all top level um, in the field, in their in their departments. Everybody was top level. But I got home from Mariah, the best money I ever made and all that good stuff, the best time, the biggest tour, all that. And I got home and I was home probably a couple months and I got a call. Don't know where the call came from at, at first. I got like five phone calls that were asking me about Am I available? Can I do this? Can I do that? Would I be interested in this, that? And well, um, the salary is this and that, or would you accept it? So what had happened is um, the stage manager from Mariah Carey had gotten a call from George Benson's camp. And George Benson's camp were looking for a particular guy. They were looking for someone to do, you know, stage manager, backline. And the stage manager at Mariah, who was like again one of the tops in the in the industry, he worked for a lot of the biggest acts to this day. Terry Cooley, he told George Benson Camp about me, and so they called me and they were just vetting me at first. You know, they had already got I'd already they had already spoke to Terry Cooley, who gave them my info, info, and so they started questioning me about some things, and then. Um, they called me in, and then the last phone call, like I said, the fifth or sixth call, something like that, they told me what the artist was, and it was George Benson. And I was kind of like, okay. Like I said, I don't get excited too much. But I was like, I know George Benson. I know his music. And I'm thinking, you know, I had, he hadn't been on my radar. So I'm like, oh, okay. Sure enough, they call me in. I get there, go right to work, and... It was about a week before I actually met Mr. Benson. I've seen him a few times, you know, of course, doing the show and all that. But, you know, finally they introduced us and is the new guy and meet the bandmates and all that. And it's been great since day one. I'm almost 15. I'm at 15 years. Uh, separate the COVID years. That's two years. It would probably be. Well, I'm still there in the name and, and under the um under the uh, employment era, but yeah, I've been there and it's been great, great, great. So I've stage manager, backline tech. I sang a few times on George's set, 
he brought me up. I never asked for any situation. I've sat in and played drums a couple of, probably about five times now. Got a couple of recordings of hearing me play with George, and it sounds good. It sounds great. I played the part. I played the song. I did what I was supposed to do. Just sitting in, filling in. Drummer wasn't there or something happened. Drummer had an issue, and I had to jump on and play. And it's like, as soon as I did that, the first time I got back to playing drums, because I quit playing drums while I was around Tony Tony. While I was around, excuse me, while I was around Tony, 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 I quit playing drums because they had all these monster musicians. I'm like, they don't need me. So my confidence wasn't anything that allowed me to try to compete with any of those guys. I just kind of like stepped back like, you know, uh, I'll never play for these guys. And so after I sat down on one, one gig with George, I got back to playing drums, and I've been playing my, you know, rehearsing and working out, doing my shedding and things like that. I've played around L.A. here and there at different times, um, sometimes better than others, but I've gotten better and better and better, more confident, knowing what I'm around it all the time, knowing what to do because I'm around it every day now at the top level, and I uh, just prepared for whatever's next, and I'm a songwriter myself. I've found my artist side and I'm producing and writing and producing and uh, recording, working on my project. I've gotten some collaborations under my belt and I am loving it. This is what I do now. I'm an artist. I do production and I'm neither one cancels the one out the other. I'm trying to be my best in both categories. So, you know, if I get a call for production, I'm going to give it 100% focus. And as I get bookings and as I get, you know, to put on my own productions, I'm going to give it 100%, 100%. So you never know what you're preparing for if you stay with it, keep 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 focused and if it's your passion and if it's your love it's your hobby it's your work you never know where it's going to take you and i've been around the world uh many times from you name it i've been there except for a couple of places and probably won't ever go there for the uh, the sake of how you know u.s relations are with certain places but i've been to russia probably five times i've been to africa i think five six seven times eight times i've been everywhere so asia australia new zealand um philippines i said asia so that that covers a lot of areas i've been everywhere hong kong you name it i've been all over and i love it had some food in a lot of great places so this is Sean Atkins. I employ you to, I, I advise you to continue on whatever your passion and love is. Give it some time. Put some interest into it. Put some money into it. Do you. Don't worry about being in competition with anybody. Just give it your best. Create your space. Create your opportunity and work on your craft. And I, I believe in the preparation meet opportunity situation i believe in that and you'll be ready i've been put in situations that i wasn't ready and i managed to kind of get through it 
but you don't want to get through it because you're under more pressure than you need to be. When you know what you're doing and you're prepared for certain things, when you get there, it's like, oh, yeah, I've been waiting for this. So, again, Sean Atkins, you can find me at Sean Atkins Soul. My website is under development. Um, I'm on YouTube, Sean Atkins Live. Just put that in there and you'll find me, Sean Atkins Live. I'm on Facebook, Sean Atkins, S-H-A-W-N-A-T-K-I-N-S, Sean Atkins. So, again, my love, thank you for this opportunity to speak on your platform and you continue with your amazingness and your incredibleness, your talent, your art, your your feel, your vibe. It's all been, you know, I've known you for a long time and you've always impressed me with your presence. It's a it's it's something that I is very few has Nobody has your energy. I just tell you that it's always positive. It's always that the right thing to say. You always have it. You always have it, and it's like it's refreshing. I, um, and I look forward to hopefully um, working with you and uh, supporting you in whatever your endeavors are, because you have some greatness that the world definitely needs to see. And it's not that that's what you're targeting. You're just doing you. But uh, it's special. So thank you for your time and much love and success to you. Peace.